Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh, learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. And that's whatever type of company you work with and laugh. I believe we have to have some fun along the way. Well, hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. You know, we're honored to welcome some new stations to the Commercial Real Estate Show family. We're now on the air in Miami on 880 The Biz. In Orlando, your hometown station, 1520 WBZW. In Houston, on Business 1110 KTEK. In Dallas, we're on AM 1160 KVCE, Dallas-Fort Worth's Business Authority. In San Francisco, on the Bay Area's Business Leader, AM 1220 KDOW. Also, we're in Sacramento on Money 1055. In Seattle, on Money Radio 1300 KKOL. And we're in Honolulu. I'll have to get out there and visit on KGU. You know, if you're hearing the show for the first time, you're invited to use the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com, to get to know us a little better. We sure appreciate uh, you guys listening in those cities. Well, today we're going to look at strategies for banks and other lenders related to non-performing notes and OREO, which of course is other real estate owned or foreclosed properties. We're going to share some best practices that are working well for banks and other lenders to maximize recoveries related to land, apartments, and commercial real estate. And of course, if you know what works well for banks, you know better how to work with lenders if you have a problem loan or if you invest in distressed real estate, or if you have some interest in the industry. Well, let's start with a look at the health of U.S. banks. Please welcome my first guest, Chris Marinak, Principal and Director of Research, FIG Partners. FIG Partners is an employee-owned broker-dealer specializing in financial institutions. Their expertise includes independent research on bank stocks and the industry at large, raising a new capital, and providing strategic advice for banks nationwide. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Well, we appreciate you being with us, Chris. And, you know, the, the banks have been through a tough time for the last several years. Uh, they're obviously a very important part to our economy and our recovery. Just how are banks doing right now? Well, the profitability in 2012 is substantially better. Right now, as of the end of September, 91% of the banks are profitable. Uh, some banks are making money and are profitable by virtue of having reduced loan loss provisions. So if we take that out of the equation, still about 85 or 86% of the banks in the, in the country using the FDIC charters, over 7,100 banks, are in fact making money. So we think that's a very positive shift and certainly a dramatic difference from where the industry was sitting in 2009, 10, and early 2011. And how much better is it, to put it in perspective? Well, everything's relative. Uh, if you go back six or seven years, the industry was making 14 to 15% returns on equity. Uh, that no longer is the case. We're closer to eight or nine for the companies as a general rule. Um, there is a big spread all over the map. There are still se- several companies who are very small on profitability. We have less leverage today, so the overall capital that's being put into the industry is much greater than it was, so therefore there's less assets per dollar of capital than there was in 2005 and six before the recession set in. But we are seeing companies return to profitability. I think we're going to be a ways away from peak profitability. We have low interest rates. We still have the recovery of loans. Uh, there still is some work out of credit issues, which we're going to talk about a lot uh, here on the, on, the, uh, on the call today. But I think that there is still a, a shift of profitability on the upside, uh, which is much different than it had been before. Okay. And how many banks failed in 2012? And what do you expect for failures in 2013, Chris? It's interesting, Michael. If you go back the last five years, we've had 467 banks fail. 
Now, in 2012, only 51 failed. So the bulk of the failings happened in 2009, 10, and 11. Um, and so this year, I think we're still going to see a downtick, uh, much like we saw in 2012. My prediction would be 25 to 30 banks fail. I say that because as of the end of September, there were 38 institutions across the entire FDIC platform that had capital less than 3%. In my opinion, the FDIC will not fail all these institutions. They will let some of, several of them muddle along. I think you will have some failings this year. Typically, it's going to happen at the end of the reporting period, such as the end of January. You'll have a few of them because the FDIC does not want them to file their call report. You'll have a few more in April, a few more in, in, uh, in August, et cetera. Okay. And are the national, regional, and community banks faring any differently? Sure. <clears throat> the national companies, I think, have the best profitability. Uh, I think your regional banks are also doing well. Uh, in my sense, the community banks, uh, there's definitely a dichotomy. Uh, some community banks are still struggling. It is not going to be a, a fun time for them, even though they are making money technically. It is not where they want to be, and I think there has to be some structural changes to their operations and their approach. Having said that, compared to where we were in 2009 and 10 and early 11, we are mar you know, markedly better than we have been. I think that it's important to remind ourselves that even though there are 7,100 FDIC-chartered institutions with deposit insurance around the country, that 2% of these institutions control 80-some percent of the assets. We still have several banks um, that are small, less than $500 million in assets. They are teeny tiny banks in some respects, below $100 million in a lot of cases. So those smaller banks can kind of skew the statistics. When you really look at the dominance of the larger banks in the country, those banks, by and large, are very healthy. We are slowly but surely getting the community banks up the up the uh, up the uh, profit chain in terms of recovering from where they've been. Okay, so you expect a positive improvements in the banking industry in 2013. I do. I think there are some challenges out there which we can discuss, but I do think that the profits are getting better. Okay, and what about non-performing loans and foreclosures? Are banks out of the woods yet? <laughs> well, out of the woods is probably a strong statement. We still have recovery happening. I think we're still, you know, a, another year and a half away from getting back to ideal levels on problem assets. Mm -hmm. uh, it is definitely improving. Uh, both the the absolute level of problem assets continue to fall. The amount of Oreo is falling. I do think it's falling faster at the larger companies and at the smaller community banks. But I do think it is on the move downward. Um, the uh, sort of threat of a recession or threat of, uh, of concern about the election and the fiscal cliff, the tail end of last year, I think put a lot of things on hold. I think that uncertainty is now behind us. Uh, while no one's necessarily happy, I think we do have the uncertainty removed and the businesses are moving forward. I think low interest rates are helping a lot to sort of keep things moving and have the recovery take place. We think it's going to be slow this year, but we do think things are going to be positive. Okay. And there's certain types of, of loans or, or properties that are causing more issues for banks than others? Right now, I think you still have the overhang of land, the overhang of residential construction in certain areas. It's very much a street corner uh, basis. I think that office buildings probably still have uh, some, some uh, structural issues to them in terms of finding uh, tenants as well as finding lease and rent growth. Uh, other areas such as multifamily are the exact opposite, which are very strong. Hotels have been surprisingly good. Industrial seems to have come back. Retail is spotty, uh, but I think that's always been historically uh, sort of a case-by-case -case basis in retail. Okay. And how are banking regulations and the FDIC affecting banks these days? Don't ask. It's not a fun topic. <laughs> Unfortunately, the regulators are, are, are judge and jury. Uh, they're making it very difficult. We've had some new legislation the last two years with Dodd-Frank that makes it very difficult. None of us like it, but it is what it is. Um, I do think that it is going to create some clarity 
for companies who want to stay in the game of banking that they're going to have to play by a new set of rules. Uh, unlike a football game where you change the, the definition of a penalty, uh, you know, the banking, the banking real system doesn't have any chance to appeal, and uh, it's going to be forced on them and sort of crammed on them. But it is something that is going to happen and is, is unfolding. We still have many rules and regulations within Dodd-Frank that are going to be laid out and put into action in the coming year. A lot of it's nebulous stuff that you wouldn't get into, um, and it applies to all kinds of, uh, of other rules and compliance issues, but it's going to make life difficult for banks. Unfortunately, I think that uh, banks simply have to uh, bite their tongue and move forward. It is going to create some consolidation. There are many banks and board of directors who are unhappy and are tired, and they will exit the business. We think that the pricing is beginning to change ever so slightly so that it's making more sense for companies to sell. We are seeing stabilization of equity and book values in in the business, both for private and public companies. That's becoming very healthy to at least begin the conversation about more mergers. We've had a couple of examples of mergers the past year and a half that are worth hanging your hat on just to use as guideposts to the future. Okay. And this seems like an excellent time for banks to do loans, especially in the commercial real estate world. Probably some of the safer loans they're going to, to do in the, in the last 10 years. Are banks starting to really lend more? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, banks have been lending more since the summer of 2011. We've mm-hmm. seen the amount of loan growth improve. The challenge for banks is that they're not making a lot of money on these new loans because interest rates are low, spreads are low. Historically, when interest rates are high, banks can make more money. Uh, It's very difficult for banks to make the same spread that they used to. Therefore, they have to be careful with the loans they make. Um, We think there's a structural challenge for banking right now in that the amount of cash flow coming off of existing loans paying off, securities that are paying down, uh, securities are paying down because many of the banks are using mortgage-backed securities today, which are prepaying through natural refinancing, all that cash flow from both the loans and securities is pushing banks to reinvest those funds and come back into the marketplace uh, with new loans and investments. Banks have to make those loans, but they're making them at lower spreads, which is a challenge for you know for the future. I think that one of the, the offshoots is that banks are beginning to consider their cost structures on the operating expense side. You're also seeing mergers begin to show examples of how a merger could actually be very profitable for a bank day one versus in you know 10 years ago it was very much a challenge to see uh, a merger be profitable the first day okay well we're gonna have some more information from chris maranak on the banking industry we also have some other special guests joining us that you don't want to miss i'm michael bull this is the commercial real estate show we'll be right back The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick, forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit AGG.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related subjects, check out our on-demand show podcast. 
For example, we completed a show on C-suite social media strategies, a show on LinkedIn, and two enlightening shows on 2013 market expectations, one with Deloitte and one with PricewaterhouseCoopers. You can access these shows anytime on your smartphone or computer. Just visit iTunes or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're discussing strategies for banks and other lenders to increase recoveries related to non-performing notes and foreclosed properties. We've been talking to Chris Marinak with FIG Partners about the health of U.S. banks. Well, joining us now, we have some other industry stars who work closely with banks and other lenders in regard to problem loans and foreclosed properties. Please welcome Rob Whitmire. Rob is a partner with Bull Realty, where he leads the firm's special assets group. Bull Realty is a U.S. commercial brokerage firm headquartered in Atlanta. They work with over 100 banks, servicers, and funds that have bought loan pools, providing full-service brokerage, including the best-for-sale marketing in the nation. Rob, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Also, please welcome Joe Briner, a partner with corporate rescue firm Grassanti, Galef, and Goldress, or GGG Partners. As a partner with 50-year management turnaround firm, Joe's practice has focused on loan workout services. His 23 years experience as a senior financial services executive and privately held in public banks, including the role of CEO, has helped him be very successful for clients with problem loans. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Michael, and thanks for elevating me to the status of star. I like that. (laughs) That's right. Mm -hmm. We've got some stars in here today. Well, and Joe and, and Rob, I'd like to see from your perspective, since you're working with banks every day. What are you seeing related to the volume of problem loans and foreclosures, Joe? Well, Michael, uh, as a workout specialist working both with troubled borrowers and the note holders, I see it on both sides. And the last year or so, uh, the flow has been much more consistent, much more metered. It seems like the banks in particular are now masters of their own destiny, whereas a few years ago, it was much more lumpy and all over the boards. So uh, it's it's been getting more consistent and uh and more predictable. And Rob, what do you see for volume on your end? Yeah, as a broker really focusing on selling notes and REO, uh, I think the biggest word I use is velocity. The The velocity of the notes and loans coming into the banks are have slowed, uh, and they're a lot more calculated on when they foreclose on properties uh, and how they handle it. So the process is much improved. Uh, but I still think we have a long way to go. I mean, there's still a significant amount of problem loans out there that will have to be dealt with. Right. And you've also got these pools of loans uh, that have been sold to funds. And, you know, so somebody's got to work through these problems. What do you expect, Rob, for volume moving forward this year in 2013? It's interesting, Michael. Several large pools have been purchased uh, on the note side. And so we didn't really lose those properties. They weren't sold to users or investors. They were sold to another group that's going to act like a lender. Uh, And so we've got the same situation, just different people handling the loans. Uh, And I see those groups, most of them taking the strategy where they bought at a really good price and they will be disposing of those after they foreclose. Uh, So another situation where we're going to have a lot of of foreclosed properties, distressed types properties in the market. Okay. And Joe, you don't expect your phone to to slow down this year, do you? No, Michael. It, in fact, it is not. Uh, just this week, got a call from a lender with seven new hotel properties uh, that are distressed. And uh, I, I see the, the volume, uh, again, being being fairly consistent. And uh, the, the foreclosure rate 
I, I think there we've worked through a lot of the problems, but there are a lot of embedded problems, especially in in smaller banks. I don't know the the exact number, maybe twenty percent, twenty five percent of the loans uh, that are truly distressed have not been adequately addressed. So we still have a fair amount embedded out there, and then. I keep seeing these numbers on commercial mortgage-backed securities and a, a trillion, trillion and a half dollars maturing in the next three to five years. I think that will add somewhat to the flow as those properties come online, uh, they reach maturity, and uh, the loan balance is higher than the market value. Okay. Well, Joe, this is your opportunity to really help some, some banks here and other lenders. What are some tips for banks and lenders to work through problem loans? Michael, uh, the the ones that do it the best, they have a system, they rapidly assess their expected recovery, and then they implement their plan. They're disciplined about how they do it. Okay. And do they also kind of look at all their options and, and kind of weigh them rather than focusing on one thing or the other? Exactly. And that, that comes in the, the rapidly assess column. Uh, they do look at all their alternatives. They talk to professionals. They talk to people like Rob and come up with that plan and then they again they execute it well the ones that do well execute well okay and what are some mistakes uh joe that uh, a lender should avoid well one thing i see quite a bit of and uh with uh, apologies up front to my attorney friends i see a lot of overspending on legal the banks don't know uh how to attack a problem and so they just throw lots of legal dollars at it when uh again it it comes down to math. If they do their homework, uh, they could save quite a bit on the legal expenses and cut down on the time as well. Yeah, and I think we see the same thing on the, the borrower side. Sometimes you, if you have a problem loan, yes, you need to have your attorney involved, but you may also want to have someone that's a little more neutral uh, that uh, the bank doesn't feel like, all right, I got to hire an attorney and fight this, right, to try to work out this loan. Right. And uh, I've worked with several people at Bold Realty who have done a fabulous job of that. In other words, you don't have to hire a, a specialist like me. There are lots of people out there that can talk sense uh, as neutral third party objective uh, consultants and can help facilitate a uh, resolution more quickly and at a better price and uh, at lower cost than uh, a knockdown, drag out legal fight. Right. And Chris, uh, you're working with these banks uh, every day. What are some other mistakes a lender may want to avoid when they're working through problem loans and foreclosures? Well, I think timing is everything. And so I think the, the, the first mistake is, is, is waiting uh, to sort of, you know, kick the can down the road and, and figure that the, they can have a better solution if they wait three, four, six months. That, I, I've never seen that work. I, I think that getting on it day one and having an immediate strategy, bringing in the expert from the outside is the exact correct answer. Um, to some extent, I think banks are unrealistic with the losses that they have. Uh, we've seen many public companies uh, have three and four guesses at what the actual losses were, and then they actually sell the asset and they had a fifth loss. So it took them five different iterations to actually get the right loss out. I think if they were a little more honest with that number up front, it probably would have been easier taking the hit. Now. For a larger company, it's easy to sort of criticize them for that. For a smaller company, they didn't have the capital to do that. So realistically, these banks had to earn their way through these write-downs. So I'm probably less critical of the community banks because they just didn't have the capital to take these losses. As we are now five years into this recession and coming out of it in 2013, I really feel the profitability is allowing banks to have more flexibility to take the write-downs, to, to take the medicine they, they need go ahead and move the asset out. And that's where I think you're going to see a lot of the attraction continue to happen for Joe and for Rob and for a lot of their um, brethren around the country. 
Right. So if the bank can afford to do it, go ahead and go ugly early, if you will, and and get through the process. We've seen that as well in our shop, where we'll we'll bring a lender an offer for five million. Uh, two years later, they'll sell it for three and a half million, and have spent a lot of money on it. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Go in and and see what you've got. Get on it early and and not waste some time. We've also seen banks come in and try to play developer, play owner, and it's not really what they do. And so they get involved with it, and it just doesn't work out well. And uh, you might as well go through, in some of those cases, go ahead and, uh, and sell it. Okay, well, after a quick break, we're going to have more bank and lender strategies for you. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick, forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit AGG.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. How would you like people to come to your website to hear the Commercial Real Estate Show? Well, you can now download a free widget allowing your site visitors to access show videos and audio podcasts right on your website. Just visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com and look for the widget on the homepage. You can see how it works and easily download it to your site. And after you load it, it works automatically. Well, today we're discussing strategies for banks and other lenders to increase recoveries related to non-performing notes and OREO. My guests are Chris Marinak, Joe Briner, and Rob Whitmire. And Joe, you talked about uh, legal fees and costs for banks. Are banks getting a return going after borrowers for deficiency judgment? Michael and collecting. Yeah, by and large, from what I'm seeing, no, they're not. Uh, and the the process is the same as the asset. Assess your expected recovery from the asset and the guarantor, and then go about it efficiently. Uh, an attorney can chase somebody for years and get judgments. And when I've seen those cases, they often result in a bankruptcy, a personal bankruptcy, or uh, a judgment that is unenforceable. So I'm not seeing a lot of recoveries from deficiency judgments. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a lot of times if you assess it, there may not be a lot there to go after at the end of the day. And you may get more out of that borrower by working a little better with them up front, maybe saying, look, if you work with us to sell this note, to do this short sale uh, or a friendly foreclosure, you know, that we'll, we'll release you from liability. And there might that might be a better way to go in some cases. And, and speaking of, of selling notes, Chris, uh, what are some tips for banks uh, when they're selling loans to improve recoveries? Well, I think, first of all, being realistic on pricing. I think bringing an outside firm, as I mentioned earlier, um, I think is, is very helpful. I do think that we have seen more and more public banks going through this experience, and it is beginning to, to grow some real traction in the industry. We've seen several announcements in the fall last quarter of public companies selling assets, both announcing as well as successful completions. And I think you'll see more the first half of this year. Um, so I think effectively sort of following the leader uh, it was a great example because I think the, the marketplace likes seeing these and investors are reacting positively. Yeah, I think it's amazing when I see these pools close at 
some of the the large discounts though that that these banks are having to take. Rob, what are some other tips for banks when they're selling notes? I'd say to keep an open mind and make sure that you look at all your options. So uh, if a note, for instance, is going to return a a 40% on your loan value, maybe another option would be a short sale that would provide you 80% or a foreclosure that maybe would provide you 90%. And so uh, notes is kind of a a popular thing to do right now, uh, but not getting a one-track mind, maybe keeping it open so that you can do something else that may generate more money later. Yeah. And Michael, I'd add that, you know, keep in mind that if these are notes coming from FDIC law share assisted deals, typically these cannot be sold. The regulators really dislike seeing them. In fact, they're actually going to go out of their way to become more difficult on approving these short sales. But again, that's just for the assets coming out of a failed bank. If it's not a failed bank related, then it's wide open, exactly as uh, Rob was saying. Okay. And you mentioned short sales. Are are more banks and lenders utilize, utilizing short sales? And what are some tips for banks to improve recoveries with short sales, Rob? Yes. Banks are starting to use short sales. I And there's a very clear case when this makes sense. It's when the, both the borrower and the property are both conducive to that. So you have a friendly borrower that will work with you, uh, and then you have a property that it makes sense that you can maximize the value. A great example, we just sold an entire Midtown block uh, in Midtown Atlanta. I, and this was a case where the borrower had full plans, knew the zoning that had been put in place, all the entitlements. Uh, the bank was willing to work with that borrower as far as his personal liability on that. And so when we were brought in to market the property, we had full cooperation of the borrower, which meant we had all this background due diligence. Uh, and so instead of foreclosing and having to start from zero and extended due diligence time so a new buyer could work through that, we were able to shorten due diligence and get a bar a buyer that actually paid more in a short sale than they would have as a foreclosure. Right, and that was a regional bank and a and a uh, community bank, right? That's correct. You know, and they they probably got another three million dollars more out of that deal from not selling that note and and foreclosing. Who knows what they've gotten into it? I mean, a, a property that big in a in a large city. Who knows what you're going to be dealing with? You know, on the risk side. Well, what are some other mistakes to avoid? in a short sales process, Rob? I think the biggest mistake that I see a lot of banks at when they're doing short sales is they really try to stay too hands off. Uh, they almost act like they don't want to be involved. They're just telling a borrower, hey, go sell this and, and report back when you get an offer. And what we advise is we say you want to be in the in the middle of the process. Now, we understand you can't counter offers. You can't get that much. But you want to know who the, the borrower is choosing to market the property. You want to see all that marketing to make sure that it's really being done. Uh, You want to see offers. You may not be responding to them, but you want to be in the loop. So when an offer that comes in is attractive, you can hold that borrower to to countering that. Uh, And so those are things I think that they need to be doing. Okay. Well, that's a good point. I mean, if you're you're the only one with the equity and you're releasing the borrower, you might as well get uh, see what's going on. Well, quick break, and then more bank and lender strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick, forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit bbnt.com. 
and Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have some very interesting shows coming up for you, including shows featuring updates and forecasts on each of the major real estate sectors. We'll have a show on the U.S. office market, a show on retail, one on industrial sector, and a show on the multifamily industry. Be sure to catch shows of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're discussing strategies for banks and other lenders to increase recoveries related to non-performing notes and foreclosed properties. My guests are Chris Marinak, Joe Briner, and Rob Whitmire. And guys, I like to talk about foreclosing. So the bar is not working with you. Uh, you decide the best thing for you to do is foreclose on the property. It's time to own it. Own it. What are some tips, Joe, for banks and other lenders that are about to foreclose on a property? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Michael. Um, the success, the most successful plans that I've seen come about when uh, a note holder consults with industry professionals and many of us like Rob and I will draft a plan on spec to to present to the the note holder to hold 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 you said spec on spec (laughs) yeah (laughs) not spec real estate Uh, but we'll we'll do it to help you out and uh, you can assemble the best ideas out of those plans that you get from industry professionals uh, develop a plan and then implement it quickly time is not a lender's friend generally speaking and uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, and Chris mentioned earlier, the the successive losses with the write down after write down after write down gets uh, gets uh, pretty uh, tiresome for the lenders and note holders. So having having that plan, implementing it uh, decisively, tends to produce the best results from what I've seen. Okay, and Rob, if you're going to foreclose on a property, you're basically buying it. I mean, you really want to do your due diligence. Just like if you were going to, if you were going to buy a property, right? Yeah, that's the key, Michael. And, and maybe in a lender's mind frame, like they were going to underwrite it. I mean, they need to go in thinking that they need to do environmentals, third-party reports. They need to figure out how to get management in place the day that they foreclose. Have a team ready. Uh, make sure that they have reserves because if it's a, a property that may be leased during their ownership, they need to have the money to do tenant improvements, pay leasing commissions. And then, of course, figure out, you know, your process and your strategy for a sales team and pick the right broker. Yeah, I think those are some great tips. And you want to analyze all that before you make a decision. I mean, you'd hate to be a lender that that doesn't accept a short sale of of five million dollars or or a loan payoff of four million dollars. You decide to foreclose after it's all said and done, you net three after working on it for another year and having all those risks. So, yeah, I think you really want to weigh all that uh, as you're making all these decisions and uh, and definitely before you foreclose. Well, Rob, what about uh, after they foreclose? So uh, the banks foreclosed on the property. Now they need to maximize the value of that asset to increase the recoveries. What tips do you have there? Sure. Well, hopefully you've already got your broker in place. He was a part of your team pre-foreclosure, so you pick the, the right broker that knows the market well, that, that offers a lot of ex- exposure. Uh, the second thing, I and what I encourage the lenders I work with, is to figure out how you're going to counter offer 
even before you get your first offer. So have a process in place. You want to be able to respond quickly. The deals that I see that fall through the most are when a lender takes two or three weeks to respond. We want to strike while the iron's hot. Uh, the other thing is to, to really be able to put your broker in the right place so that bring them into the fold. Let them know your expectations so that when they are making these counter offers that they have an idea of where you're trying to go. We always try to maximize value, but it does help us to have a, a range of, of what's going to be an acceptable level at the end. Right, and your broker has a fiduciary duty to help you out. And if you don't uh, trust them with that fiduciary duty, you probably have the wrong broker. And hey, let's, true. Hey, let's talk about that. You guys have all seen banks where they've hired brokers and chose brokers and in some cases made good decisions and sometimes not. What are some tips for a bank when they're choosing a broker, Joe? Well, Michael, uh, there's a, a broad range of, of capabilities out there in the commercial real estate brokerage market. And uh, brokers that certainly know the property, know the market, know the potential buyers, can generate a buzz around that property even before it comes to market. Uh, the, those are the are the uh, elements, if you will, that that tend to produce the the best result in the short, shortest amount of time, from what I've seen. Okay, and and Rob, they also need to look at how the brokers actually going to market that property, right? Not just look, hey, it's a big name or it's a, a local broker whose whose office is down the street. You also want to look at what they're actually going to do, right? Absolutely. I mean, we all have great listing presentations. Uh, the key is that you understand exactly the depth behind it. So when you say we we market. 14 different marketing systems and do all these email pushes to really generate exposure, you want to see the proof that that actually occurred. And so, I mean, what we do is we send out a letter right after it hits the market attached. I mean, it's a huge folder that has all the marketing systems in it. Uh, and I encourage clients, hey, if you want to take my marketing presentation, my listing presentation, and attach it to that listing agreement, we're happy to do that. I mean, you want to be able to see exactly what they're going to do and then make sure they do it afterwards. Yeah, and that's a good point. And we're short on the break, Rob, but when does using an auction make sense for lenders? It's usually, a, you know, it's an interesting question. I think, one, uh, we do auctions for uh, some of our lender clients. It's small balance assets, so assets that are under $100,000 that people can just write checks for easily. Uh, assets that are hard to quantify the liability. So there may be something that's just not quite right, and you want to sell it really quickly. And third, and maybe most importantly, you want an absolute auction. You want one that if it, don't, if it sells for a really low dollar amount, you're not going to be that concerned about it uh, for the for the other two reasons that I mentioned. Okay. Uh, so a property that you're okay with an absolute auction and and uh, or else don't do it because if you've got a minimum, you've got a set reserve, that's going to hurt the auction process. Okay. Well, after a quick break, more bank and lender strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit AGG.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com. 
and by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. Well, welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. How would you like easy access to quality content to post to LinkedIn, Twitter, and other social media sites? The typical challenge with social media is finding good content, right? Well, you're invited to use the Commercial Real Estate Show videos, blogs, and audio podcasts as informative content for your social media endeavors. There's a share bar on each show page and video, and you can find them all at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're discussing strategies for banks and, and other lenders to increase recoveries related to notes and OREO. My guests are Chris Marinak, Joe Briner, and Rob Whitmire. And, and gentlemen, I'd like to ask you about some other tips for banks related to maximizing recoveries on foreclosed properties, Joe. Well, Michael, uh, the number one factor I've seen in this market is that when the firm starts with B and ends with ULL, we've gotten great results. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thanks for that that plug. And, and Chris, you know, what have you seen when banks do wrong when they're owning or selling ORIA? What mistakes should they avoid? Well, it goes back to pricing. I think to some extent also when you have a public company, uh, they're not communicating with your investors, kind of the extent of the issue or sort of what your game plan is. We have a lot of companies who are planning to sell assets for a while, but never really told the public that they were going to do that. And I think that you know you actually get kudos from your uh, from your investors and analysts by being a forthright up front and, and giving the, a story. This is what we're going to do, and, and then following up on executing. Okay, Michael, and I would second that. Not having a plan, holding too long, playing developer owner. Uh, I've seen banks do all of that, lenders do all that, and it it just seems to drag down the net recovery in the final analysis. Okay, and Rob. Yeah, for me, I think number one mistake is pricing an asset. Uh, once you've got the broker that you trust, uh, you need to trust them to tell you where to price it. A uh, key part of this is the bank being clear with that broker about their strategy for how long they need to hold it or, or want to hold it, so what disposition time frame, so that your broker can make their marketing plan match up with your strategy. Yeah, I think that's a good tip. I mean, sometimes the appraisers are a little bit at a disadvantage. Uh, we love our appraiser friends out there, but you know they're appraising different types of properties in different areas. Whereas when you go to that broker, uh, most of the time uh, uh, that broker is working that sector in that market area every day. He may have seen the comps. He may have shown the comps or sold them. So you can get a real accurate picture. I remember I used to do a lot of work for Freddie Mac uh, back in the late 80s when they were one of the largest apartment owners in the country. And they would have these uh, appraisals in their file, and they'd check the box. And then I was the Atlanta apartment broker. They'd come to me and say, all right, what can we get for it, Michael? Uh, almost just really ignoring the appraisal because, you know, I was in the market every day, every every second, knowing every property that's available and that's been sold, and I knew how to maximize the value. So I think that's an uh, important concept because we see some of those appra- the comps and those appraisals can be off. I mean, they don't adjust them correctly, so the appraisals can be very high and very low. And again, to our appraiser friends, you know, we love you. It's just you're not actually in the market every day selling those. And and an appraiser by an appraisal by definition is an opinion of that appraiser. And it, and it's amazing how the banking industry has been so rele- relegated to the appraiser, isn't it? I mean, well, unfortunately, that's, that's been dictated by the FDIC, the Fed, and the OCC. So it's it's uh, one of those unintended consequences of Dodd-Frank and other new regulations in right. the last few years. Well, we've got to end the show here. A quick tip, guys. 
Michael, uh, for bankers, lenders, be decisive, do your homework, leverage the high-powered professionals who know the market like you were just talking about, and then follow your plan. Rob? I say when you're choosing a broker, make sure you know exactly what they do. Uh, you choose someone that is specializes in a product type, not a company, because uh, you, you'll lose crossover buyers if you pick a company that only does one thing, but a, a specific broker within a larger company that um, specializes in a product type. Michael, I think, I think the public market likes uh, asset sales, and I think they're catalysts on a positive light for your stock price. Well, Chris, Joe, Rob, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your insight. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. For more information from anyone on the show today, you can find the contact information at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Can you join us next week? We'll be discussing the U.S. office market. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick, forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. And Arnold, Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit AGG.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com.